and welcome to Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. We are cartoonists, scholars, and educators. On Drawing a Dialogue, we put comics into historical, theoretical, and educational contexts. I work with K-12 students in schools in addition to alternative educational settings. I have three graphic novels out in addition to self-published works. I have a master's degree in art education. And I am a PhD student in the University of Florida's English program. I also have a master's in English from UF. Um, my research focuses on trans embodiment and experience in comics and zines and museum studies. And I also mostly make self-published comics. All right. And so welcome, everyone. This is episode 43. And we are finally going to do Boys Love Manga. Woo! <laughs> I'm very excited. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally I love boys love manga and yaoi as we called it growing up. Um, I read a lot of it in fan scans and translated forms. Uh, when I was a teenager, and I still read it quite regularly. I buy, mm-hmm. I purchase, uh, printed books, uh, often. Um, what's your history with uh, boys love manga? Uh, well, like you, I gr- I definitely grew up reading a lot of fan scans online. Um, I I think I read quite a bit, although my memory is pretty hazy. I had this weird um thing in middle and high school where I would pretend, especially middle school, less than high school, but I like was pretty vocally a like against anime and manga except i was actively also reading it and consuming it and i just didn't like Mm. i don't know (laughs) i don't know why i was like that um i think i was modeling i had some art teachers you know like classical art teachers that were very yeah that were very like oh this isn't like real art you don't want to draw like this or whatever yes so we have talked about that in right. uh, previous episodes. So I think I was just modeling them. It's just funny because like when I look back, I was literally actively also consuming it um, at the same mm. time. <laughs> so I don't know how I worked that out in my head. Um, but I'm a huge BL fan. Um, and yeah. I don't I don't read it as much. I don't read it as much as an adult, mostly because I don't read much of anything anymore. Um, you keep saying that, but that is illogical. Okay, you're right. Well, I, I, okay, for pleasure. I don't read. I, I I have not read a huge amount of things for pleasure in the past. Okay. I'm like, anyway. unlike me, who just like regularly orders high piles, giant stacks mm-hmm. of boys' love, and then I read them in a week or two. Right. Well, so the thing if about if you follow my Goodreads, <laughs> it is it'll be like ten boys' love manga titles, and then like a real book. And then 10 boys love my <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, I think I've said this before that like when you have to read 500 pages a week for school, it makes you not want to read when you're done with that. Um, so really logical. It really wasn't until I was out of coursework that I was like, oh, I can remember that books are good and I like them <laughs> again. <laughs> um. Anyway, so... Uh, we haven't talked about Boys Love um, extensively on mm-hmm. Drawing a Dialogue before. I believe in very early episodes, we made some reference to it. Mm-hmm. Um, and th- this is for a few reasons. And I'd say the biggest reason is just honestly just staying in our lane. Yeah. Um, we are an American podcast. We are both American. 
um, and it is just uh, the point of view that we bring to the table. And so sort of projecting our perception of the Japan and all, we're going to talk about other Asian um, countries today. Um, the Just uh, projecting our perceptions of another culture is just um, un- unacceptable. Right, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and also... It also, I personally just always have have a constant uh, personal frustration with the way that academics have talked mm-hmm. about and written about boys' love. Anglophone um, just a lot of academics. Yes. We should specify, yeah. Um, and there's just a lot of uh, misinformation and assumptions mm-hmm. um, made. Um, and I honestly don't know if it's necessarily just anglophone. I've read some uh, translated work too, mm-hmm. um, but. We have recently, um, there has been a online, uh, the reason that uh, we are here uh, today doing an episode on Boys Love is that the Japan Foundation of New York mm-hmm. recently had a panel um, online on YouTube uh, with four academics uh, from four different countries, uh, specializing in four different countries. So Japan, Korea, Philippines, and Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and they held this panel titled Boys Love the History and Transformation of BL in Asia. And they are going to talk about um, this. So uh, what we both did is me and Remus both watched this panel and took notes. And so we are comfortable uh, moving forward with the episode on Boys Love Manga because we have... Uh, these experts to reference and we're going to be talking about this specific panel which yeah. I, we encourage you to go watch yeah yourself it's a it was a, um, it was a, it's a very fun panel um so and definitely check it out <laughs> uh, yeah and as the panel says there's been a lot of transformations in the 2010s mm-hmm. and 2020s the scene of boys love manga has changed including the actual uh, manga that's produced and the academics and scholarly work that has been written about it yeah and i feel more comfortable um talking about it now just because there isn't uh these like this like misinformation mm-hmm. um and so the part of that history is um, sort of that, like, it historically has always been discussed as strictly a w- women, right? Yeah. Just readers and authors are only women, and oftentimes it was seen as doing something harmful. Yeah. Um, it's a complicated topic because of an outsider's point of view. It can seem fetishizing, uh, quote unquote, fetishizing. Um, and as a fan of the genre, I personally knew that it was just not true. <laughs> like, like the, as this consumer of this genre, I was mm-hmm. like, I am not like, quote unquote, fetishizing, right? As yeah. I'm here. Um, and I feel like a lot of fans felt that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but putting into words the complicated world of like queer love and this existence um, is difficult. Yeah. And so... Listening to this lecture uh, made me very emotional, yeah. to be honest. I felt like I heard these feelings that I've had as I read the books finally articulated. Um, and and the, this is also reflected in other BL fans. Mm-hmm. Uh, Christine Santos, who is the expert uh, in the Philippines, uh, mm-hmm. who 
was part of this panel, uh, founded the first boys love convention in Southeast Asia. Um, and she talks about how they always uh, bring, they, they invite academics to speak at the con- conference because there's just a lot of hunger for like academic depth and discussion. Yeah. Yeah. And I, th- I loved, I mean, a couple of things, right. Um, what you said about uh, the emphasis on like uh, BL as a, how it's transformed and like uh, in the past 20, 10, 20 years. Right. And also like, um, the idea of it as like a transformative genre, I think, is really interesting for us. And I'm yeah, excited. they said that a lot. Yeah, that's what, that was sort of like the um, key, one of the key terms I would say from the lecture, right? Is like this idea of transformation and like how that in, in, like shows up in different ways. Um, and then also like the the it's one of those things where the lines between like fan and academic and like um reader and these sort of different relationships you can have with the genre tend to get pretty blurred right because like a lot of the academics are all of them really of course are like fans right and that's how they get into it and um that's one of the things that i like about this sort of academic work is i feel like what when you have such a close personal relationship with the material that you're talking about, you tend to like write about it in a different way than if you're like of outside observer, right? Yes, um, yes, yeah. Uh, there was a lot of passion and thoughtfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, that was our introduction, <laughs> <laughs> and to get into the actual meat of the topic, I want to introduce the four. Uh, academics mm-hmm. um uh the actual the lecture starts at the beginning with a written statement um that said this webinar discourages scanlation because of its negative impact on the manga artists and the publishers i really liked that it started with this statement because mm-hmm. i think another thing that has been bogged out in the past with the discussion of boys love manga is uh the piracy right. of it. Like this discussion of is it ethical the way that we are consuming it, which then kind of uh, sort of uh, casts a shadow on the ethicalness of the actual content, which isn't fair or logical. Right. Um, do you have any like scanlation? We've talked about scanlation before. Mm-hmm. Um, I personally have like, like, do not read scanlations at all whatsoever anymore Mm -hmm. i only read the published books um and a lot of that isn't necessarily my own it's like i just like books (laughs) i just want like a book that's all i just want to read i don't want to stare at a glowing screen i like hate reading on screens that's funny no if i'm I'm honest that's just like a huge reason why that makes sense i mean i i'm a person i actually read a little bit easier on screens um for, what, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, but I I have mixed feelings about scanlations. I think um, Dr. Uh, Mizoguchi, who is the Japan, the expert on J- Japan, um, was she sort of talked about this and she mentioned that the issue is that um, although the point, one of the main sort of pr- points that people make in favor of scanlations is that, you know, it's fan labor, right? It's not like people are, ma- you know, the people who are translating for scanlation sites usually aren't making money off of that, right? It's usually, like, younger people who are sort of just doing it out of a love of wanting to, like, share the material. Um, mm-hmm. 
And then people, um, particularly when you're in, like, uh, a country where the the manga, let's say, hasn't been released in English, right, that might be your only venue. And the argument is that, well, once it's, like, released in English, they will buy the actual copy and it will, Mm -hmm. you know, sort of, like, get back to the manga that way. Um, But she she made the point that, like, though that's true for most like the majority of people are just going to read the scanlations and never go on to buy it, which does yeah. ultimately hurt the mangaka, right? Um, yeah. And I think it that's hurts a, the publishers, it hurts the authors, right? And I think that's a really good point. I just have mixed feelings about it because, like, on the one hand, I th- I definitely think it's more ethical to purchase the actual copies, right, and like directly support the artist and the the p- publishing house and that because that also like helps them. Uh, translate more stuff officially right because there's like a demand for it um but i also like don't want to i don't want to i don't want to take like a black and white view of it because i do also understand like being in a position where like you can't access those books right and if the option for if if someone has the option of like never read any of it at all ever or like engage in the scanlation then i don't think you know what i mean i feel like it's tricky with that nuance I mean, uh, there's online, you can read, uh, there's like online boys love, uh, there's digital options yeah, to read these books. For sure. I mean, more like from a financial like point of view or, you know, like, uh, libraries. Yeah, no, I know. I'm going to poke holes into it, Remus, because I do think it's important to support people's, I don't I think it's, it's not, if it's, it's not, I, not your argument, sure. but I think in general, it can also get a little xenophobic and racist, yes. right? Like, it's okay to steal manga. Like, it's like, I don't... <laughs> oh, yeah, no. To be clear, I also I'm feel this... I'm not saying that's what you're saying. Yeah, no, no, I no. Just, I think... I'm going to poke holes. No, I think that's a good point, too, because I also want to clarify, like, the reason that I sort of feel like... My opinion about this is not limited to just manga. It's, like, all books, period. So I, yeah. I, I, I do think that's really important that, like, I'm not saying... I don't want anyone to walk away and be like, no, it's okay to steal from manga because it's manga and it counts less. Like, no, it's it's the same as anything else. I just, I personally have more mixed feelings on it, although I do lean into the category of like, prefer, like I would rather spend the money. You know what I mean? Like personally. I, I can't, I think it is a rare author who doesn't want people to use the library to read Oh, books. yeah, for sure. I think most authors would be like, go for it. I want you to find the free option. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Um, no, I, and I think that's a good, that's also a good, if you if you are someone who has, like, a hard time um, obtaining copies, like, asking your library to purchase them is good. Although, Yeah, and there's digital, there's digital, there's online readers. For sure. For, uh, there's e-books. That you yeah. can borrow too. Yeah. So there. So anyway, I guess I, I just. Sorry, I got a little tough there. <laughs> no, I appreciate it. It is. It, it is something that I. I. I like. I said I have mixed feelings about. I guess is what I'll say, and just sort of leave. But but generally, I support the idea that scanlations are not good and should not be. Even for like, I think I tried to read. I was reading a shoujo manga. Mm-hmm. and so like a girl's manga which is interesting we'll get into that yeah um and i was i like read a bunch of it and then i was like i'm i just want to read it i don't want to buy it all which honestly i should have just turned to the library um but i was like i've i read scanlations when i was a kid i'll read scanlations and then i started it and i was like this 
translation is horrendous. <laughs> well, yeah, there's that too. Like, <laughs> I mean, translator, professional translators are doing the work. You guys. Yeah, that's that is a that is also true. Like, the fan translations are not necessarily like as reliable because, like, you know, some fan translators are absolutely like either native Japanese speakers or fluent in Japan Japanese or whatever. But like, not all of them are, and you don't have a way to vet that. So, yeah. Um, and then I was like, I regret this, and I will just buy it. <laughs> yeah. I'm so sorry. Um, so, uh, so that's how the talk starts. So let me, uh, 17 minutes into our podcast, let me introduce the people that actually did the work. Um, so we have the first, uh, speaker was Akiko, uh, Misoguchi, who was a, uh, expert in Japan. Um, she spoke about how Boy's Love was born. And then there was uh, Kim Hyojin, um, of who uh, spoke about Korea, and then um, who uh, actually uh, specifically the paper that Kim Hyojin uh, presented was actually about um, sort of the escape from boys' love. So um, she mostly talked about sort of uh, the arguments to move away from boys' love mm-hmm. that was happening in Korea at the time, like a movement. Yeah. Um, which she uh, kind of debunks. Um, and then there was uh, Christine Santos, um, who spoke about the Philippines. Mm-hmm. And then uh, Tom uh, Bodinet, who spoke about Thailand. Yeah. Um, so my notes uh, sort of favor uh, Akiko Misoguchi, who mm-hmm. was talking about Japan, uh, mostly because I was taking notes for our comic podcast. Um, but there right. were also a lot of uh, uh, talking about manga, but also drama, CDs, mm-hmm. video games, live action films, and television, and also like pop stars, K-pop. Yeah, um, so they they took BL as like a very wide, um, m- encompassing mediums, right? So not just they're like they're media s- studies yes. scholars, right? Yeah, but that was interesting for me because I I think. Um, have tended to view uh, the idea of BL as a genre as pretty specific to like manga and not just manga, like manhwa, but like comics in general. Yeah. Um. So it was interesting to think about it m- more expansively also and like look at like how K-pop shipping fits into BL as a genre and how like um, that kind of stuff is really interesting to me. Yeah. And it was interesting because if you're thinking about K-pop and as a, like a, uh united states uh person i also was thinking i recently yeah. recently listened to a podcast about harry styles and they <laughs> talked about one direction shipping yeah and one direction fan fiction is like huge yeah it's a it's huge um which it's it just it felt uh very similar mm-hmm. to the way k-pop shipping is done yeah yeah that is interesting um do we want to do we want to sort of like I have so much notes. Yeah. I'm ready. Okay. Well, I'm, I was going to say, should we just like briefly talk about how the panel was like formatted and what the four talks actually were? Or do you want to just like go into it? I was going to uh, talk about the four. Do you, you want to introduce the four talks? I'm I'm like ready to talk about Akiko Misoguchi's talk. Yeah. Um, but if you want to introduce the four talks first before we go into the nitty gritty, that's fine. Yeah, I think just to sort of give like an overview. Um, so the way this was 
uh, broken down was the each panelist had like a pre-recorded paper presentation. Um, and then after that, they took questions um, and sort of had like a more open discussion. Um, Dr. Akiko Mizuguchi's talk was uh, theorizing B- BL as a transformative, transformative genre, women's pleasurable discursive space with feminist queer potential. Um, so she, and like Kathy said, I think my notes tend to favor her as well because she's talking very specifically about like manga. Um, and obviously we want to, we're very comics oriented people, right? We want to yeah. like drill in on the comics. Um, and she sort of went over just how manga, how BL manga has really transformed in um, Japan since the 80s, 90s, right? Um, and sort of look- which, which I'm fully obsessed with because yeah. it's a transformation I've watched. Right, I've yeah. Learned. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Um, Dr. Kim Hyoshin, as Kathy kind of mentioned, her talk focused on the uh, Leaving BL movement, which was um, a sort of like uh, online discourse movement in Korea um, around um, leaving BL fandom, right? Like no longer reading BL. Um, Mm -hmm. And so she she sort of went through the context for that movement and the arguments and then sort of debunks um, what the arguments were. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. Uh, Kristen Santos talked about BL fan spaces. So she was really bringing attention to, I mean, the BL community in the Philippines, right? So in the specific context of the Philippines. And then um, using the the conference, the, uh, the con- conventions, rather, that she has sort of co-organized, right, to talk about uh, BL spaces and how in the Philippines these spaces sort of enable... Um, a certain type of queer expression um, that mm-hmm. is in the Philippines, which is a very, like she emphasized, is a very like conservative Catholic country. Um, having those spaces is kind of like a radical act, right? Um, mm-hmm. And then Dr. Tom Bonnet talked about BL in Thailand um, and specifically was, he was sort of talking broadly about um, the type, his, his interest was really in like, um, the 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 dramas right the sort of live action the prominence of like live action Thai BL and like how the companies that are making that um are sort of like using BL as a way to like make new forms of celebrity which I think is super interesting I actually have like a Mm -hmm. lot of notes about this talk also (laughs) Mm -hmm. um because I really I think like queer consumerism is a really interesting topic um yeah I know. It's interesting. Towards the end, he was like, I think it's a good thing that, that this is capitalist. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's, we can I get into some, it more. I have some thoughts about that. Yeah. But we can. <laughs> yeah. But so those are the four talks. And they, so you can see they sort of like, obviously, each is speaking to a specific region that they specialize in. And then also is sort of like um, talking about a sort of specific facet of BL within that region, um, which is was really interesting to sort of have them all together juxtaposed and sort of, like, begin to see the transnational sort of, like, movement of BL across these countries, especially since, like, like I am only really familiar, obviously, with in the within the U.S. context of, like, right. the import of, like, Tokyo Pop and all that stuff, so it's interesting. Yeah, and, um, uh... It's interesting you said Tokyo Pop because they only started translating Boys Love late in the game. I mean, I guess they had <laughs> gravitation, but anyway. Um, <laughs> They're just my go-to for like when um, you think of 
U.S. manga <laughs> imports. <laughs> Um, I know they did not talk about, there is like the history of us. Yeah. This has nothing to do with the history of us uh, imports, but that is a whole nother thing. Oh yeah. And Mm -hmm. in a manga setting in a Jojinshi setting. So actually fan comics. Yeah. Um, and then it was exported. Um, but like, like the genre was not necessarily the material. Although I believe the material was uh, generally exported and translated. Yeah. Um, so her definition, and this is interesting because this is an old school definition that then sh- everyone kind of debunks. Yeah. But the de- de- definition of boys love or BL um, is an acronym for boys love um, is a genre consisting of male male romantic fictions created by women and for women in Japan. It is also known as yaoi. Mm-hmm. Um, uh which uh, they actually get into the difference between the fr- the words boys love and yaoi uh, later. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's interesting to think about talking about it now. Um, so <laughs> you wrote down, you texted me about what yeah the phrase yaoi and yeah. what it was. I didn't. Um, I didn't write down the Japanese. Um, uh, it is uh, yamanashi. Uh, Ochinashi Iminashi. Yeah, which translated to um hold on, let me pull it what translated to no climax, no punchline, no meeting. Um and <laughs> which I <Yeah>. love. <laughs> and it was uh it was used by Dojinshi creators. Yes. Um so Dojinshi is uh fan comics. Um, so fan comics uh, of shonen comics of boys comics. So mm-hmm. doujinshi creators of boys comics were making shipping. This is so funny. This is so many terms that I'm like, do we need to define these terms? But we are a scholarly podcast. We will define these terms. Mm-hmm. Shipping is uh, taking two characters who aren't romantic in the original context, but then gr- writing romance fan stories about them. Mm-hmm. Um and it reminds me of the fan fiction usage in Anglophone uh, cultures of um, using PWP, yeah. which it means plot what plot or uh, porn without plot. Yeah, I was right? say so this. it's just like it's just porn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Which is, so it's 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 lovely to see. I it's just very funny to me. I actually don't have anything extra to say about that. I just really yeah. like that. <laughs> Yeah, so no climax, no punchline, no meaning. And it's very tongue-in-cheek. Like, it's like a cheeky way of talking about yourself. Um, And then so she cited as 1995 is when boys love was a term being used in Japanese. So BL. And BL came around in the 2010s. So BL is actually very recent. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, BL actually became uh, the number one use of the word in 2018. Mm. Um. And then she sort of answered a question, is the term yaoi absolute? Um, and in J- Japanese, yes, uh, people know it as just the old term. Um, and in, in English, uh, yaoi was used y- longer. Yes. And um, someone else was saying that BL or boys love or shoda uh, kind of kind of carried connotations of pedophilia. Mm-hmm. And I'm guessing because of the use of the word boy yeah rather than like adult well and i think that's still true to a degree at least in 
like the U.S. context because I know that like Shoda has very specific connotations of like underage boys specifically. And I think the Japanese term is actually using BL, not a translated version. Like they are saying boys love. Right. Yeah. Um. Uh. And it it is interesting. It, I did uh, catch myself being like, uh, when I was recommending a series to you, mm-hmm. where I was like, it's a boys love series, and I was like, but they are like adult men, right? Well, because <laughs> like, the word are men in their thirties, <laughs> <laughs> because boy has a particularly youthful connotation in English, right? Like, yeah, when you when you say boy, I mean, I, well, now I guess with the macros and stuff, we all use boy a lot de- <laughs> for like everything well, but it does sort of imply like youthfulness and immaturity i feel like because i definitely they were talking about how um yaoi in english has like a particularly sexual connotation like people yeah think of like like yaoi is the porn right. and boys love it doesn't contain graphic sex right where as opposed to it sort of being like synonymous right or like an older word that got replaced by a newer word right. but um, and that's still like a connotation that I have, right? Like I grew up where I grew up, yaoi meant like porn. So like I still think of it that way, even though I know that's not necessarily like the case. Yeah. Um, but which is uh, helpful to uh, talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so Akiko Masaguchi was saying that there are a thousand books annually. Mm-hmm. Published in BL in Japan in the BL genre, um, that it's a female-centered genre, um, and then it also includes drama, CDs, video games, live-action films, mm-hmm. and live-action television and anime. Yes. I'm guessing and anime. Anime was like barely mentioned, which was interesting. Um, I don't. I don't personally watch a lot of anime, mm-hmm. if any. Um, but do you like? Are you an anime watcher? Oh yeah, I. I find it depends. Sometimes I find it easier to watch anime than read the manga, and then sometimes it's easier to like read the manga than watch the anime. Um, yeah, I'd always I, if someone recommends me a, a anime, I'll always just read the manga. Yeah, I, I will never read the, watch the anime. Yeah, it's it was interesting that they didn't. I mean, I you know I assume it's just not their like subject area, and that's why. But it, it I I was interested in that since there is such a my understanding is that there is such a relationship between like manga and anime right because like most animes are based on manga so there's like a um i don't know it was interesting to me that they didn't really talk and about i that. feel like drama cds again this is our perception as americans right right i feel like drama cds is always the in-between like there, there's a drama cd cd created of the manga mm-hmm. and then after that is the anime and then i like the voice actors from the drama cd could be the voices in the anime but that's not necessarily always the case right yeah um again I'm not an expert in Japanese drama CDs. <laughs> uh, I barely, I, I think I have a couple from my childhood, but I don't like sit down and listen to them. Um, and she was saying that it's a vibrant genre since the 1990s. Mm-hmm. And then uh, what was very interesting is that uh, what mainstreamed BL it was a 2018 TV drama called Old Men's Love. <laughs> yeah. And I really want to watch that i do too it sounds i love i love the live that action was the thing <laughs> yeah um so it is very recent i love yeah. how recent it is i find it really interesting and really exciting to be honest mm-hmm. um from perspective of as like a queer person yeah um 
Uh, she talked about the origination of uh, Boy's Love. Uh, she, uh, as her in her scholarly work, um, found a 1961 short novel uh, by Mari Mori titled Lover's Woods mm-hmm. um, to be the original BL um, because it employs these uh, Boy's Love tropes. Yeah. And those tropes being the semi- uh, uh, character who is the aggressive the more masculine character mm-hmm. and the uke character who is more passive and more feminine right and those two roles the semi and uke roles um assigned to beautiful men i loved how much she just said beautiful boys she was like you know it was the bishonen yes right but she just says beautiful men the whole time and i just like <laughs> she said she was a lesbian multiple times and i was like I like I'm like feeling it, girl. <laughs> I know it was deeply um, relatable. I feel like, um, yeah, because she talks about in addition to Dojinshi, which Kathy mentioned, the other sort of origin of um, BL is like this, as it emerged in the '90s, where these '70s and '80s uh, be shown in our beautiful boy mangas, right? Mm-hmm. Which were mostly set in like European upper class. Uh, era and were about like beautiful boys <laughs> you know um, and that author Mari Mori is quoted as saying her characters have nothing to do with actual homosexual men right um, which kind of comes up often um, in these older academic writing about it yes. right is that these, this series has nothing to do with real gay men um However, the speaker says even in her personal experience, uh, they helped her realize she was a lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, she also mentions, which I think is really interesting, how these authors in the 70s, 80s of girls manga of this, these uh, beautiful boys, um, they fought older male editors to publish their work. And I think she said this in the sense that men have been involved from the beginning. Mm hmm. Isn't that an interesting, like, citation? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to just be like, but men were there the whole time. Yeah. I mean, it, and I think that's true, right? And I think um, even, like, uh, Dr. Bonnet, Nett makes the point later on that the, the idea that um, BL manga has only ever been, like, a by women and for women isn't necessarily correct because there have always been, like, male authors writing under pen names and obviously like queer authors and gender non-conforming authors and also readers right um right so even if the even if like the the original sort of scholarly framework is like this idea of it's by women for women which i think is useful right and i think like the point she makes uh dr um misa misa gucci makes about it are really useful um it isn't like it is true that there have always been like not women <laughs> there and like yeah I-, <laughs> <laughs> I think she was doing she was doing something where she was talking about the history of BL but she was also yeah. talking about the history of how it was discussed yes exactly like I I, I don't think she's actually she's she she debunks everything that she says at the beginning yes um I I also have some citation on. Uh, so there's Fujoshi, which are f- uh, female fans of Boys Love. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's Fudanshi, which is uh, male 
fans of boys love mm-hmm. um which i have an article on that i'm gonna reference in a little bit um but it is like uh conversations like the, yeah men have been reading these from the beginning as yeah well, right <laughs> yeah it's just it doesn't it it just it doesn't make any sense <laughs> yeah okay but i really want to get into what uh dr mizuguchi do, d- did that i loved was she broke down sort of based on how these 1970s 80s female authors like talked about what they were writing like why they were so interested in these characters um and what i thought was really interesting is she talked about how like using boy pro tags meant that they could like in do engage in behaviors that were considered unfeminine without having to invent a reason for it right right um and they could um in the relationship they were two people that were seen as equals without having to like compromise or go through the sort of like uh courtship required of like a heterosexual like where a woman in japanese presumably the implication i think like she's saying that like in japanese culture like women are expected to like do certain things in a relationship right um Mm -hmm. and if it's two men you kind of skip that negotiation and can kind of just focus on them as equal beings and Mm -hmm. also that it created a safe distance for girl readers so that they could write about really risky stuff um Mm -hmm. that they wouldn't have necessarily been able to do if they were writing about a female character right um and i thought that was like a really interesting and the three risky things she says Mm. are the pleasures and dangers of sexuality addiction and mind control yeah i love that final one (laughs) i know i was like my yeah i mean that is very bl but also (laughs) (laughs) the pleasures of mind control (laughs) listen um it's very good yeah and i thought that but I, i loved that um because I think that's a really interesting thing, right? Is thinking about like, you know, these characters aren't real people. So what are they doing? What is the right. function for the people that are like engaging in the pleasure of reading, right? Or like the right. pleasure of writing. Right. I mean, there was something that she uh, talks, says later on that I really liked, which is, um, well, of course, these are uh fictional stories that are need to be entertaining right <laughs> <laughs> i really liked like she was like yeah they do ridiculous things because it's a story and you want to have a nice time while you're reading the story <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> um uh but in so these 70s and 80s titles they did not grow up to be adult gay men mm-hmm. but uh queer readers like her could read into it um and then uh but that sort of changes right mm-hmm. um so in the 90s uh the boys love formula would have the seme and uke both identify as heterosexual mm-hmm. the characters insist that they're not gay um even after that they've are in a male-male romantic relationship. So they this sort of trope of I am gay for you. Um, uh, and then uh, talking about how this other person is special. I wouldn't dream of dating other guys. That's gross, but you are special. Mm-hmm. Um, and then she talks about the trope. Uh, they they kind of drift apart and try to have an, affer- uh, an affair with a third guy, but they're unable to. And that they realize that their love... Um, is eternal and ultimate and they got to get back together um i really liked this uh conception of Mm -hmm. like of like this like incredible love like this like passionate 
uh, amazing love. And she called um, it like these stories are in an almost mythological realm, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is fan this is a fantasy relationship that like lets you vicariously um experience uh, particularly for female f- fans presumably right like sort of experience this immunity from the patriarchal expectations of a heterosexual relationship mhm i'm trying to find uh yes so the um yeah and she talks about so this is uh not in her lecture but uh, later on when they talk about why is bl so appealing to women mm-hmm. um and sort of that like uh, narratives to for women to forget about their roles in the patriarchal society like th- that you just said and also to get their injuries healed right she said that <laughs> um and that uh, male male narratives allow women to identify with the characters but also ignore if there are differences and they get to focus on similarities mm-hmm. um and i just love what a queer reading that is oh yeah yeah um and I think, I mean, I think that was one of the interesting implications, right? Is that like, and this, I, I think Dr. Bodnet talked about this a little bit, but it came, it came up a couple of places that I, like the, the identification with BL characters is itself a little queer, right? Like yeah. there's like a, a queerness that's happening there. And I think Dr. Mizuguchi later on even says like a lot of, like some BL like Fujoshi consider themselves in a minority sexuality. Um yeah, which was really um, interesting. Yeah, she said um so she was talking about Fujoshi, which is a term that means rotten girl, uh literally translated. Um and it was a term from the 2004 and BL fans were upset um later on about how the term Fujoshi was used but, but then by 2007 uh BL fans took that term with pride. Mm-hmm. Um and of course it's complicated but the way she said this is like so I loved this part where she talks about how she's like people who eat fresh vegetables are boring. <laughs> we ferment the vegetables. Yeah. <laughs> we are fermented girls. <laughs> I did really love that. Um, and then she says that BL fans uh, do consider themselves in the sexual minority, like you just said. Yeah. Even if they are cisgender heterosexual women, they feel like they have a BL sexuality. Mm-hmm. Um, which is uh, just, like, wonderful. Yeah. It's, it's such a, a queer take. Um, it, it's great. Um, and then... Uh, in. And then th- uh, thinking about Seme and Uke roles, like it can uh, imitate a straight romance, mm-hmm. um, but on another level, the male protagonists become unavailable with other people, like it's magic. Yeah, um, enabling the women readers to fan the it's fantasy like very of immunity from the patriarch, as you had said. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Um, and then in the two thousands, BL transformed even more, where gay identified male protagonists engage in realistic episodes about mm-hmm. coming out and other further negotiations in a feasible manner, which is slightly more advanced than the reality of Japan, right? Yeah. Thus functioning as models for those who wish to overcome homophobia and heteronormativity. And this is a change that I've seen myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Like I've read a lot of titles and um, oftentimes it would be like no one would use the word gay. Right. No one would use the word gay. And then it started reading more and more where there would be like 
I am gay. Like, I'm coming out as gay. Mm-hmm. Uh, my love for you is making me realize something about myself. Right. It's interesting because it's an evolution of the, like, gay for you trope where instead of being like, mm-hmm. I'm heterosexual with an exception, it's like, I am a discovering something about myself that is changing my previously assumed heterosexual identity, mm-hmm. even if it's still contained to sort of this one person. And that this is that transformative BL that she was talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and then she had this great quote, which is, BL is an unprecedented pleasure-based forum with queer and feminist activist potential. I also <laughs> wrote that down. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so that's the end of Akiko Misoguchi's uh, talk. Mm-hmm. Um, was there anything else about her talk that you wanted to sort of dive into? Um... No, I think that about covered it. Um I'm I kind of want to uh talk about she talks about the trope conversation. Yeah. Um so we since we've talked about the gay for you trope, um so she uh this is later on when they're doing the uh, question and answer session. Mm-hmm. Um she talks about the seme and uke idea, this idea of romance uh which is monogamous. Yeah. Uh a specific sense of attraction. Um, and also, the history of this is authors coming up with their own conception of gay love, right? So um, trying to come up with gender dialogues and feminism, but then when conversations became more accessible, when um, information on LGBTQ people became more accessible, um, authors started to shift their works. Um, so just like that uh, Remus just said, it, the gay for you trope became a trope uh became discovering your the self right it, mm-hmm. it tackling the character's internal homophobia um uh and then um and she said that we need to accept that the, the, there was a transformation of this trope from the 90s into something more inclusive like bl yeah. is now more inclusive yeah it really is um and i think I, this is a point a, a few of them brought up right is that like a lot of the scholarly conversations about bl are very much looking at the 90s and like the 90s yes. tropes and taking those as what is happening today when that's not the case and i think part yes. of that is if i had to guess is because academia moves really slowly so mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh but it is it is a problematic thing right to to try to analyze a contemporary work based on ideas about the genre from 20 years ago yes and I this does make me want to start to pull in uh the boys uh this textbook that I also purchased um which I only uh dug into recently and I got frustrated with it almost immediately where it was once again talking about this was just like for women right, right? it feels just so dismissive and dichot- <laughs> like a, like a dichotomy yeah um and uh but this book is titled Boys Love Manga and Beyond it was edited by Mark McLelland uh Kazumi uh, Nagaiki, uh, Katsuhiko, uh, Suga Numa, and James Welker. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is the history, culture, and community in Japan. But there is one specific uh, uh, paper within this book called Do Heterosexual Men Dream of Homosexual Men? <laughs> which is uh, BL Fudanshi and the Discourse on Male Feminization. Mm-hmm. So this is about uh, Fudanshi, which is, um, I'm guessing it means rotten 
boys, right? So Fujoshi means rotten girls. Mm -hmm. Um, Fudanshi is uh, the male version of that. And this talks about, so first it talks about the, uh, it is a questionnaire for boys love readers. Um, It was a survey. Uh, This study looks like it was done from uh, 2008, 2010. And it asked um, the respondents sexual orientation. So there was a diversity in sexual orientation. Some of them identified as gay, some a bisexual preferring men, some bisexual preferring women, and then some uh, identifying as straight and some identifying as not feeling sexual desire toward others. Mm, Okay. Um, so full diversity of uh, sexual orientation in the male fans of B- Boys Love. Um, but then also, so uh, uh, Tagame Gengoro, um, who uh, is an author that actually came up a lot in the uh, talk, mm-hmm. um, but he is the author of gay, of gay manga titles. Um, he had kind of a popularity in Canada and North America and uh, the United States. Uh, recently, mm-hmm. he's the author of My Brother's Husband, but he, he also uh, did a lot of gay manga uh, porn that was translated. Yeah. Uh, I have The Boy Who Cried Wolf. I'm just reading titles from my <laughs> shelf here. Um, but he, uh, as Remus mentioned, uh, wrote under a female pen name, wrote BL yeah. before publishing under his own name. And also, he uh, there's a quote from him in this textbook. Um The question is, which puts less pressure on men? Coming out as gay or as a fudanshi who loves BL? Perhaps self-identifying as a fudanshi creates less pressure. Those who have identified themselves as gay in relation to ordinary gender categories may now be inclined to say something like, no, I'm not gay, but a fudanshi. It would be problematic if the deep-rooted homophobia attached to gay sexuality per se could be easily evaded. By the word Fudanshi. Um, and then it sort of goes on to sort of talk about uh, the uh, sociocultural uh, phenomenon that enforces compulsory ex- expressions of masculinity mm-hmm. on Japanese men, sort of forcing Japanese boys to behave stereotypically manly mm-hmm. and to take pride in being aggressive, authoritative, and dominant. Um, but the author believes that boys love text. Uh, prompt Fudanshi to reevaluate socially established gender paradigms and thereby enable them to p- develop a postmodern reading of maleness and masculinity by acknowledging a male desire and access to a female oriented sphere. A quote from someone on sub- subverting mainstream masculinity, which is BL slash Yaoi, was a tool that my generation, I was born in 1970, could use to liberate ourselves from the pretense that we were tough guys. And then there's a really interesting part where it talks about androgyny and Mm. the sort of the accessing the space and the desire for androgyny. And there was this question on uh, suppose you had fallen in love with a boy's love character, would you prefer to play the role of the seme or the uke? Roughly 41% of informants chose uke, while roughly 19% chose the role of seme. So uke being the more feminine, the uh, the receiver, right? Yeah. The bottom, basically, in the relationship. Um, and do you identify more with the seme or the uke? And... Um, 
that Fudanshi pr- predominantly preferred, uh, t- predominantly identified with the Uke characters, and only ten percent uh, identified with the Seme. Um, and so she talks about, uh, or the author, I don't know the gender of the author, but um, they talk about uh, the term androgyny to refer to combinations of masculine and feminine characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, most of the male characters in uh, depicted in BL have some sort of feminized that is androgynous in both their physical and psychological characteristics. Mm-hmm. And I just really like, um, like, like really challenging all these assumptions of what is harmful. Like, what is uh, these the Seme and the Uke role as, like, unrealistic uh, for of real gay men? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and how that is actually something that readers, um, that male readers enjoy, and they l- like the Uke role, and they identify with it. That's, yeah, and I like that, I, that actually, I feel like, resonates a lot with something that Dr. Bodinet said sort of at the end, because um, mm-hmm. they did get a question, right, about fetishization. Um, and, like, whether BL is considered, like, fetishizing of male-male romance. Um, and Dr. Bonnet, uh, explained that he, he, he does, like, ethnographic research, so he does, like, um, interviews a lot with, like, lots of, uh, gay-identified or, like, he used the phrase same-sex attracted, so bisexual and gay, or, like, any combination Mm -hmm. thereof, right? Um, men who read manga um and that um he he found that generally they share with the fujoshi feelings that it is transformative and um that most people view both like bl and the more like the uh gay manga like the bara or like what um Gengoro does as um like these are both fantasy right N- neither of these yeah. are meant to be like realistic portrayals <laughs> of right. being gay they're like fantasy stories that you can like connect with um and i thought i think that's like a really interesting thing yeah it's interesting he used the term uh, the term english gay manga which i believe is just the name of the publisher oh yeah of ann ishi's publishing company oh yeah it's just <laughs> gay manga like i don't think that's the actual the title for bara in english right yeah <laughs> um uh d- full disclosure i'm friends with ann ishi so <laughs> i had not made that connection but that's really funny <laughs> yeah i'm like pretty sure that you know She's the one putting him out. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, uh, and then, um, it, and he says in that part, it's concerning to project authenticity onto a media text because we need to question what authenticity is for an individual consumer. Mm-hmm. Right? And he said that same-sex desiring women found uh, BL liberatory and important. In fact, there was a, he references an early... A column in a BL magazine where lesbians could write to each other, <laughs> which rules. <laughs> which is amazing. <laughs> um, and he says that BL was queer from its inception, and mm-hmm. the idea that all the authors are heterosexual women should be challenged, and that many wrote under a pen name. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom also doesn't like the term fetishization. He thinks that problematic is more useful mm-hmm. uh, for others. Um, Perhaps it can be meaningful. Um, but we need to look at the motivations and feelings of people who consume 
um, just as much as the representational politics of the media that they are consuming. Mm-hmm. Um, what I really liked, and just like you were saying, that scholarship can move slowly. Mm-hmm. They, in this talk, they very much referenced things that were happening that day. So he actually referenced the Heartstopper conversation. Yeah. Um, so there was recently a conversation online um, with the uh, art author of the t- book Heartstopper. So it's a comic book series that was then created into a TV show. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was like uh, the author um, s- uh, had said previously that her work was not boys lover Yaoi um, because it is more pure and her work isn't fetishizing. And so he sort of talks about how this, like, purity politics Mm -hmm. and whether or not BL is queer representation, when clearly, for many of us, boys' love is definitely queer representation, is that is not a controversial take. Right. And and that's a really interesting point, too. I think, obviously, you know, I can't speak to the discussion of fetishization in not the U.S., right? But that is something that you see a lot in, like, U.S. or Anglophone online communities talking about BL, right? Is the idea that it is fetishizing of gay relationships Mm -hmm. that, like, again, the assumption is that it's, like, it's straight, cisgendered female readers fetishizing gay, these gay characters, right? Um, And I think it is, I like that he pushed back on the word fetishizing there because, um... I th- and like I think because I think it, he like it's highlighting an important like fetishizing implies a specific power dynamic, um, mm-hmm. and I think w- where you can point to fetishization is in like the way that like non like particularly white non Japanese people like orientalize Japan through manga. Yes. Mm-hmm. But that is not like a BL specific thing, right? That is, um, mm-hmm. and and then that's very different, I think, from like taking pleasure from reading a fantasy story, basically about a relationship, right? You know, like even if you yeah. don't necessarily perfectly share the sexuality of the characters, yeah. And um, uh, but then he, they also talk about. I feel like everyone sort of talks about. The uh, the ability for um, BL to um, be transformative, right. to be political, right? To to have impact on uh, and transformation on the mainstream, right? Um, I uh, is there anything else that you would like to um? talk about i i mean we're at an hour Mm -hmm. um we have talked a lot but is there anything that you really want to hit on there's so much more there's so much um no i i mean i was really interested in dr bodnett's talk right about consumerism Mm -hmm. and his sort of like like kathy kind of said he points to queer consumerism as something that could be positive right Mm -hmm. um and it was very I don't think we should go super in depth to it because I I'm not like qualified necessarily to talk about this at all. But it did remind me of um, early gay consumerism in the U.S. and like the way that consumerism was used in the in the 50s and 60s to sort of codify a specific gay identity. Um, 
and, and so I think there is something interesting about the relationship between like queer community and consumerism. Um, and I think like, I was really intrigued. Like, I want to go, like, read his book. You know what I mean? Like, I'm intrigued yeah. by what he's talking about. Uh, so, uh, to be more specific, so, uh, uh, Bonanet's, uh, Tom Bonanet's, uh, talk was on Thailand, mm-hmm. on, um, uh, BL Thai dramas, which were, uh, live action dramas, um, which are extremely popular. Um, there have been, he said that there were, um, between 2014 and 2021, approximately 100 Thai BL series were broadcast. And then in 2022 alone, 90 yeah. were produced. Um, so it's a hugely mainstream popular form of media in Thailand. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, but he talks about how Thailand's BL machine is that BL is a mechanism to produce and manage a new form of stardom. But then those uh, actors, the actors and the crew, um, all um, are involved in protests and supporting uh, uh, queer rights mm-hmm. and wanting and fi- fighting for the legalization of same-sex marriage. And so this is like a the the Thai. Um, the creators of this are also pushing for change in Thailand. Yeah. Um, which is what he says because of its mainstream qualities that this can be uh, create transformation. Mm-hmm. Um, that was his argument. Yeah. Um, which uh, he seemed to think uh, isn't reflected in. Uh, the other countries that were being discussed mm-hmm. or at least not to the same degree yeah mm-hmm. um yeah so i, I don't i don't like I, I am not because i am not an ex i am not familiar at all with uh consumerism in thailand i do not have any analysis really to offer but i do think it's interesting and i want to like read more of his argument you know what i mean like i i think it's an interesting idea even if i have some he- personal hesitations about the relationship between consumerism. Well, what he this is uh, something uh, he got really heated towards the end, and I really liked it. Yeah, <laughs> um, I like it when people get mad. Um, so there was a question about uh, what is uh, boys love and the Western acceptance of BL coming from Asia. Yes, and he said it was just uh, too essentialist to be meaningful in any way because it suggests that the West which is a term that he pushed against also, Mm -hmm. is somehow unified and that Asia is also somehow unified. Right. But this idea is really problematic. Uh, Rather than teasing out a forced dichotomy of East versus West, which is highly, 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 quote, problematic Mm -hmm. as a scholar, uh, we need to consider the sociocultural conditions within which reception occurs, whether the level of the nation state, the level of the individual community, considering the broader media strokes, um, we tend to rely on simple dichotomies. And uh, I wrote, Tom is mad about broad brush strokes. (laughs) And he said, think beyond the stereotypical categories, be more contextual. Right. Well, because embedded in that also is like, there's an implication that blanketly like as a blanket statement east and southeast asia are more repressive or conservative or homophobic and the west is 
like as a blanket somehow more like free or liberatory Mm -hmm. which one isn't it's just not true period but also like you can't the political conditions of the u.s are not the political conditions of europe are not the political conditions of australia like you know there's no way to like make that without essentializing in a very problematic Mm -hmm. way and ditto like in obviously asia like japan and korea are separate countries with different um political conditions thailand ditto philippines ditto like there's a reason (laughs) that they are experts because they also talked about this um they got a couple of questions about don may which are chinese um bl novels right um but none of them were chinese ex like scholars and tom uh, dr bonnet was like (laughs) I appreciate your enthusiasm, but like we cannot answer this because it is not our area. <laughs> like, and honestly, and, and we've said this before, that is someone you should trust. Mm-hmm. Like that is someone. If if someone says I cannot speak to that, that is not my expertise. I can't do that. That is someone who um, is doing the work and being self-critical. Right. Um, just like, <laughs> throwing that out there. Um, but I did like. How another person said that uh, BL tends to get huge questions asked of them. And um, Akiko said that uh, she got asked once, what was the reaction of the Japanese gay community to BL? (laughs) And she was like, it's huge. I can't answer that. Every gay person in Japan. (laughs) Let me just go around real quick and get all their answers. Um. So, honestly, we could just talk about this forever. Yeah. I have so many more notes. Um, is there any, want to, like, rapid fire anything else that was uh, fun that you wanted to mention? Um, I will say that I did immediately go read um, The Mouse That Cornered the Cheese, which is one of the books that um, they referenced in the Q&A. Dr. Uh, Santos mm. and Dr. Mizuguchi both referenced it as, like, um... It it sort of does the like, uh, it it's sort of like in between the gay for you trope and the like gay for you as a way to gay identity trope. I feel like mm-hmm. <laughs> it came out in two thousand four, and then it was adapted into a, a, um, and then I also went and actually read the first volume of um Poe Clan, or Clan, which is the the beautiful boy by uh Moto Hagio, and um. I don't know, it was really interesting to sort of, like, get to see the tropes that they were talking about, like, in these Yeah, Motohagio's work is, like, I feel, like, so different from the BL that I read. Yeah. But I realized that she is, like, the the godmother of all this. Right, because she she also did, uh, did she do Rose of Versailles? Am I correct in that? No. No, never mind. I'll cut that out. Um, she did, uh, Heart of Thomas. Heart of Thomas, thank you. Right. Let me look up who did Rose of Um, Versailles. I don't know. It was interesting. Uh, R- Ryoko Akeda. Yeah, did, did uh, Rosa Versailles. Rosa Versailles. Yeah. Um. Well, one thing I uh another uh, rapid fire uh things um she uh Akiko did uh um uh, we're friends so we aren't actually friends. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I love that you are per- so professionally calling them doctor, and I'm just like, Tom! <laughs> I mean, I do that in se- when I was in seminar, I did that. It's it's fine. It's it's hard to remember um, to do the doctor so-and-so. I mean, I just don't want to. Um, uh, so, um, 
uh, Akiko talks about uh, the rape trope, mm-hmm. which is something that comes up um, in conversations. Um, so she ta- she mentions that it is a big challenge. Yeah. And so she talks about how uh, rape and sexual assault um, ha- was used by the uh, seme to the uke. Um, but she sort of talked about how sometimes um, uh, the indifferent... Uh, scenarios they are uh, the uke is raped by a third party which in the story proves that the uke character is desirable in the world of the book mm-hmm. um, clearly this is not a reflection of real right um, yeah sexual assault but she also says that this is the antithesis to the real world in which the patriarchy makes women who have been sexually assaulted uh, feel like damaged goods um, but this is more it actually in the world of the story, the seme comes to the uke and makes it assures him that he is still desirable, even if he mm-hmm. after he has been assaulted. So, like, think about the way these tropes could be empowering for the readers. Mm-hmm. Um, also, there's also the trope of the seme assaulting the uke. Um, oftentimes when they first meet each other, it's super problematic. Mm-hmm. But in formulaic BL, there's sort of a di- di- fictitious debate about the how this is a miraculous love and the assault is the expression of love. It's not about violence. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is, uh, I appreciate that she mentioned that because it is uh, extremely problematic. Yeah. And she says this trope that quote unquote rape is love has dramatically decreased. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, it's another one of those things that is an older assumption of this genre that is extremely decreased mm-hmm. in uh, more contemporary works. Yeah. And I also liked that because um, I think something that's important in these sorts of scholarly conversations is parsing out like, what do these more problematic tropes, like what are they actually functioning as? Like what are they supposed mm-hmm. to be functioning as for the reader? Um, Mm -hmm. because very fairly, right, we tend to have sort of a reactive, like, it it has a reactive effect because it, you know, you're comparing it to, like, reality, right? Like, what this means in reality. Um, and, and I'm not saying that's, like, bad or wrong, right? But just that, like, these, these, it's a genre and the, the, the conventions of the genre are not meant to be, like, one-to-one to to the real world. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's, it's as as you are like as part of critiquing the conventions that are more problematic it's useful to be like what is the purpose of them right because that you can use that in your critique um which like like she does so i don't know it was it was i'm glad that she touched on that as well yeah i because I, I do i i know that that is a problematic that's a sticking part for a lot of people yeah which who is prevent them fair. from reading boys love and enjoying it <laughs> right and that's also like and i think that's another point too right is that like it is it is not like a matter of like oh if you have a reaction to this you're wrong right mm-hmm. like that's but like being it, so much as like separate being able to like have having someone anyway obviously not like into everyone because you don't have to if you are like i can't engage with this you don't have to but like in general just being able to parse out like reading critically right like what is this for why is this happening in mm-hmm. the story the way it is is like a useful thing to have happen i don't know if i'm making sense <laughs> yeah and I and I think this actually touches on what Kim Hyojin, uh, the who is the expert talking about Korea and the history of BL in Korea, mm-hmm. uh, touched on in her t- uh, talk, um, which that escape in the mid tens. 
there was this escape from boys love um we haven't talked about it um but just touching upon it the three types of leaving bl she said in this argument in korea for um uh fan previous fans of boys love to stop reading it so they're criticizing it from an inside view right right um it was homophobic so one of the ways of it was homophobic thinking about the idealization and glorifying of gay men and that actual real gay men are like not are people felt homophobic against them right that it was not something that was should be idealized um, and then also it talks about that those coupling relationships mimicking unequal powers between mm-hmm. the, the sebe and the uke, the men and women, and that sexual assault. And it also marginalizes or excludes, uh, excludes women. So these are different arguments that uh, this movement in Korea in the mid-10s uh, had made. Um, but it ignores the complexity of readers' desires and the artist's desires in reading Creating Bail, just as we have been talking about mm-hmm. Um, and how it was, um, this is a longer quote, but I thought it was really great. Um, it is important to remember that BL manga was created in Japan at the beginning of the 1970s and welcomed in the 90s Korea. And in both contexts, its popularity stemmed from the fact it was virtually the only genre that enabled women to express and explore their sexual desires and transgress the boundaries of masculinity and femininity. This history is a critical point that the proponents of leaving BL have failed to address. And that's actually how she ended her um, talk. Yeah. And and I think that's really, you know, she brought, you know, the fact that this erases the complex relationship between um, representation, fantasy, and desire, and how readers and artists desire sort of interact with those relationships. Um, mm-hmm. I think, and again, this is, uh, you know, I'm I'm thinking I'm looking a little bit more, I guess, at like the U.S. context here, but like online discourse around because a lot of those the leaving BL arguments I have seen repeated word for word in English, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whether or not they are mm-hmm. coming from the same origin, I don't know, but you know, it's interesting. Um, and the in in the u.s context the, at least that i can speak to um there's there's a little bit of an assumption that like if you consume something that depicts something morally questionable you yourself are morally questionable right um mm. and that's sort of what that reminded me of is this idea of like this complex relationship between like what these sort of fantastical choices represent to the readers and how the readers and the artists and the writers desires all sort of like again it's not like a one-to-one right like people are constantly negotiating these things um and taking their own meanings and their own interpretations from them so yeah yeah um so um any any other things you wanted to touch upon or can we move into conclusion i think let's move into conclusion i mean we could go on all day but <laughs> we could go on all day so uh conclusions uh what did we learn what are our goals what do we want our takeaways to be um so honestly this is the first time i had uh heard a lot of the feelings that i felt were true mm-hmm. for boys love just like really laid out there um, that the genre has changed, mm-hmm. that it is um, becoming more, having more conversations about gay identity rather than having their relationship be a special thing. 
I mean, all relationships are special, <laughs> but like rather having it be an exceptional thing, right. have it be the characters are actually identifying as gay. Um, I think that is really special um, and valuable. Um, having uh, sort of these tropes breaking down mm-hmm. um, the way that, especially Seme Uke, that, that was a sticking point for a lot of people. Yeah. And that that this is like a positive that people like enjoy those things um that uh sort of breaking down these tropes and the transformation of these tropes i just found it really exciting um as a lover of the genre but also as like a queer author and someone who's looking for queer content to consume um i just thought this conversation was just really exciting yeah, and I, I I feel the same way, and I was also really excited, I think, d- the level, being able to give that, like, historical context to each of these regions, and then also looking at it at the level of genre and genre conventions, um, mm-hmm. as opposed to, like, seeing, I feel like a lot of analysis that i have seen has like sort of positioned it as as something within romance and then like trying to apply like romance tropes onto it as opposed to this like this is its own separate thing it is not like it is a romance kind of story but like romance is a plot device and not the genre itself right the genre itself is bl um Mm. and having that relationship sort of like flipped was really like clarifying for me i feel like Mm -hmm. um and yeah, I don't know. It was just super interesting, and I'm happy I watched it. Yeah, yeah. Something we didn't. I meant to touch upon was that the uh, the idea of boys comics and girls comics, mm-hmm. um, and so like this like really gendered uh, method of creating media, mm-hmm. um, and how uh, that 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 boys love queers it like it yeah. really turns it upon up on its head. Um, it's something I also appreciate. But yeah, like it's interesting thinking about BL as a genre and not like a the romance genre, right. which has its own uh, tropes and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, any other conclusions? Um, just to reiterate that you should go watch the panel because <laughs> it's really- yeah, go watch the panel. I'll I'll include the link. Um, we are not the experts; yes. we are just literally just quoting them. Um, uh, I really encourage everyone to listen to this panel. It was really exciting. It's really cool. I hope to actually meet them someday. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> these are our peers. You know. Yeah. No, that would be cool. Um, I'm interested um, in everything they're working on. So. Yeah, and this is something I'm going to keep digging into, mm-hmm. and now I'm just really excited because it is something I honestly read boys love all the time. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. And I, um, I'm i really excited to uh, bring it more depth to it in drawing a dialogue so we can keep uh, bringing it up yeah. in our conversations. Sounds good. So thank you so much, uh, Remus, for having this conversation with me. Thank you for bringing the panel to me. Or, yeah. And, like, you know encouraging us to talk about it yay um and so uh you can email us if you email us we'll we might read it on our podcast um our email is drawing a dialogue at gmail.com you can also tweet us at draw a dialogue on twitter 
Um, that uh, those are ways to get in touch with us. We would love to hear your thoughts. Um, thanks. Thanks. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Remus Maurice, R-E-M-U-S-M-A-U-R-I-C-E. I meant to mention Remus. Did you catch where she talks about Morris, the movie? I didn't. Yeah, she talks about how um, Akiko talks about how Morris, the E.M. Forrester novel um, that was turned into a movie, mm-hmm. was very popular in Japan. <laughs> I mean, it's it's a good movie. It's a good flick. <laughs> it's a good book. But if you don't have the patience to read the book, it's a good movie. <laughs> it's it's Hugh Grant. It's Hugh's, Hugh Grant's first movie. Oh yeah, Ugh. yeah, he's so beautiful. He is very beautiful. Speaking of beautiful boys. Um, they were talking about, in that context, they were talking about BL, whether you can assign the term BL to think, to like any story that involves gay men, yeah. which is not the case. Right. It's a genre that has its own tropes. Um, but you know, f- BL fans can be a fan of other stuff too. So. <laughs> right. <laughs> um. Uh, and anyway, I meant to mention that. I, I was so excited. Um, and you can also follow me at Kathy G. John, which is uh, C-A-T-H-Y-G-J-O-H-N. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. TikTok. Um, and also thank you to the Downtown Boys uh, for the use of their song Wave of History. It's off their album Full Communism. You can get it off their band camp. So what are you reading, Kathy? I am reading, speaking of romance, I am reading A Lady for a Duke by Alexis Hall. Um, So it is about, it is honestly like a very, this is romance. They are Waterloo survivors of some, (laughs) I don't know anything about, they're like in some dukedom in england i truly have no idea where they are but the uh protagonist is a uh transgender woman and uh she was and the male protagonist so it's a straight couple um and the so she was fought in waterloo Mm -hmm. with her love and they were best friends um and then uh, the Duke thinks she died in Waterloo, <laughs> but she actually left and transitioned. Oh, that's so and good! Then... I know, it's juicy. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like halfway through. It is just like it is romance. At it. it is like I'm reading now. It's uh, perfect for fans of Netflix's Bridgerton, and yeah, that's that's basically <laughs> it. Yeah. Um, so what are you reading, Remus? So when you first suggested this episode to me, you mailed me a box of BL manga that you- I did. Had extras of or didn't want anymore. Um, this is, um, very specifically the boys love manga that I did not want anymore. (laughs) Don't, don't- I'm underscoring that. Okay, right. So, yeah. Well, you're not going to be surprised when I. So the one. So I. I read. Um. I just finished. Um. Toratan, Birds of a Feather, <laughs> which is the one I was like 
the most excited for when Kathy told me about it. I was like, no, you absolutely have to send that to me. I must have it. Um, so the plot is about a guy, uh, Inosaki, who has just unexplained the ability to talk to birds and he doesn't like it. He just talk to birds. Yeah, he can just talk to birds and he doesn't like it. Don't, a- don't ask questions. <laughs> he doesn't like it because the birds are all kind of mean to him, which I think is kind of hilarious. Um... <laughs> <laughs> like imagine you could talk to an animal but all they ever did was tell you to like <laughs> they just cursed you out um <laughs> it's really funny to me um anyway he like befriends a crow that knows his name and it turns out i'm, I'm gonna spoil this series i'm sorry but it turns out the crow is like another boy uh man boy he's like 18 who um the inusaki knows and doesn't know that he's also the crow and it's extremely it's two volumes it's very short he falls for the crow first he falls in love with the crow after they have talked to three times yes he's in love with the crow it is it's really okay it's beautiful i hate to bring this energy to uh the podcast where we're talking about how like good bl is um I do genuinely, I did genuinely have a lot of fun with this story. I like things that are silly. Um, it, it's, it's very silly. <laughs> yes. He, for clarification, when they hook up, it is only in adult form. Yes. In human, human form. Human adult form. They do not hook up in crow form. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> I was, I was, I was holding out for that. I kind of expected there to be some. <laughs> yeah. Um, but this is, it is important to, uh, say, uh, when we, we, have, we are talking about boys love, <laughs> uh, the question of whether or not it's fictitious, uh, should, uh, be clear. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> there is, there, you know, ta- he talks to birds, um, and, he talks to birds. and then he meets a boy who can take possession of the body of birds. Yeah, and, and then he meets a boy boy bird. He meets a boy bird, and they fall in love. And it's extremely yes. silly. Um, it is absolutely bonkers. But what more do you want? It's yeah. I I love. Um, I don't want to use a word that sounds pretentious. I love um, extremely indulgent things. Let's say yeah. so. This yo, dude, <laughs> you should read more boys love. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, come on, <laughs> like. It rules. I mean, I think I've talked it about rules. how Let Die was like my favorite comic when I was a teenager. I should say, yes. Um, yeah, we talked about that on our Influences episode. Mm-hmm. I should say, um, if you're looking for a list of boys love manga uh, to read, um, there's a full, fully uncurated list other than the, it's the list that I have read on my Goodreads, <laughs> which is also, I believe it's probably Kathy G. John as well. You can find me. I'm an author on Goodreads, Kathy G. Johnson. You could probably find me that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's a bunch of Boys Love titles on there, un- uncurated, because everything I give everything five stars because I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell. So everything gets five <laughs> stars on Goodreads. So you can't figure out which ones I liked more than others. Um, but most of the time, I'm like, if something is truly garbage, I won't put it on. I won't list it at all. Did you um, list the crow manga? Yeah, everything gets listed. Oh, uh, it, it's only it only becomes garbage if it's like 
racist. Oh yeah, that's yeah. Like like if some and that hasn't been the case for Boys Love. Um, but like it, I won't list a book if I threw it away because of, like it ha- had Nazis. In sure, it. like you know that makes like, sense. It, that's not gonna happen. So. Um, anyway, so if you want a list of boys love manga, if you're like, Kathy, I'm down, I want to eat it up, um, uh, go to my Goodreads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then if you follow me, I'll know, I'll know why you're there. Gotcha. Um, all right. Uh, thank you for listening to D- Drawing a Dialogue. My name is Kathy jo- G. Johnson. And I'm Remus Jackson. Solidarity forever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>